0: Welcome to the FDF podcast, passionate about food and drink. I'm Ian Wright, Chief Executive of the FDF. And today my guest is Gerald Mason, person at Tate and Lyle who has been most responsible for the business's adoption of the government's test and trace app. Uh, Gerald leads the Taint and Lyle business in the UK and he's particularly responsible for the factory or sugar refinery at Newham. The iconic building on the Thames which anybody who's been around East London for the last 100 years would recognise and uh, see as perhaps one of the last industrial, truly industrial pieces of architecture on the river. Welcome Gerald. Ian? I think we're going to focus today on Track and Trace and in particular the government app. But before we do, tell us a bit about Tate & Lyle and what the factory at Newham or the facility at Newham does. Yeah, no problem. So uh, we've actually got two
1: factories in Newham. Um, We've got the one everybody knows and loves, the, the sugar refinery that's been there for 140 years. Um, It's a very big site. It's spread across about 50 acres and we bring in raw raw cane sugar from around the world uh, by ship and we process it into about 650 different types of sugars and syrups. Uh, In terms of what it's like to work in it, parts of it are, are like I could best describe probably as a sort of chemical refinery. You know, they're vast open spaces with very few people working in it, so from that perspective, they're relatively low uh, COVID risk areas, all the way through to the sugar packing lines, which I suspect are quite familiar to to most people in the food and drink sector, you know, automated packing lines with dozens and dozens of people working in them who, you know, share changing rooms, share smoking shelters, all those sort of stuff. And then just down the road, we've got uh, the Golden Syrup Factory, the Lowell's Golden Syrup Factory, where we've got about 100 people on a, on a much smaller site. So it was on those two sites in Newham that we that we
0: trialled the app in. And how many people do you have working in those two facilities, John? So we've got, at the moment, uh, fewer than normal because we're keeping out anybody
1: that's not essential. Um, But in the main sugar factory, we've got about 450 people spread over a a 24-hour period. They obviously work different shifts. So, at the peak, um, which is around midday, we've got somewhere between 250 and 300 people on site at any point in time, and then at the smaller factory, uh, which is only about three acres in size, by the way, we've got about 90 people who are mostly in at the same time, so it's a much more traditional food and drink factory, I'd say, yeah. As
0: I understand it, the government chose Newham for uh, a trial of this app because it's a very mixed community, a very inner city community and it has a number of challenges which the app would have to be able to overcome in order to be adopted widely by the population. Um, tell us a bit about your workforce, do they all live in Newham or do they live in East London and what sort of people are they? So about a quarter of our workforce live in Newham, um,
1: the majority of the rest of them um, you know, live in other East London boroughs. Uh, out into Essex, uh, in from those areas, some across the river in, um, you know, Greenwich, Woolwich, Kent area. Uh, they're, they're very loyal. Um, you know, the average length of service in the, in the factories is over 20 years. They're quite skilled. Um, you know, no, nobody's on the minimum wage or anything like that. These are all sort of um, chemists, uh, technic- technicians, uh, machine line operators, engineers. But you're right, I, I think our factory doesn't necessarily uh, reflect Newham that well. Newham as a borough is really poor. I um, think you know, it's um, on the deprivation index that the government look at. It's so I think the 12th most deprived borough in the UK out of 317. Um, it's uh, 73% black, Asian, minority, ethnic population. At one point during the pandemic, nearly a third of the workforce in Newham were on furlough. Um, We had the unedifying record of having the constituency, West Ham, in which our factories are based, was the government parliamentary constituency with the most single people on furlough. And there's lots of multi-generational households with, uh, you know, people with quite difficult health uh, situations in. So I I think people often think of London as a very wealthy place where COVID didn't really impact. but. You know, Newham isn't wealthy, it's quite the opposite, and actually from a Covid perspective, in in March and April it was the worst hit borough in in the whole of the UK, so I think that's why they were looking to try it in Newham, because there's so many challenges and if you could get it right in Newham you could be
0: pretty much guaranteed you could get it right anywhere. And and for those who don't know the geography of London as as well as, as you and I do, this is the borough where West Ham Football Club used to play. Um, and where um, Alf Garnet was theoretically residing. What are the other famous things about that part of London? Uh, I, I think at the moment the most
1: interesting thing about that part of London is that it's, it's very young and it's very diverse. I mean, I, I can't remember the statistic, but there's dozens of languages spoken in New for instance, which was one of the challenges for communication on Easy to do with Covid, let alone the app through this process. Uh, and it's a borough where, you know, often you find people uh, make their first home in the UK. And, you know, so you'll have a lot of people that come in who can't speak the language. Uh, they're looking for their first job, looking for their first role in the UK. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, as they as they get their first job and become wealthy, they'll often move away from Newham as one of the first things they do. So it's quite a transient place. It's changing quickly now, but it's a really challenged borough. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've had this particular challenge with covid
0: and you know, as I say, why the government is quite keen to trial the app. So going back to your um, to your workforce, it sounded like they're the sort of people who respect technology, but aren't necessarily the fastest adopters of new technology, given the age. And um, what sort of uh, given it's an app, what sort of penetration of mobile phones would? the workforce in, in the two factories have, would most of them have phones? Yeah. I mean, look, most of our workers
1: will have mobile phones. Quite a lot of them have got company-issued mobile phones. But, you know, one of the first issues we came up with when um, we were asked to trial the app is, um, you know, the situation that the app doesn't work on certain technologies. So, um, for instance, you know, we issue Apple phones to our workforce as some sort of company-issued phones. And um, the app obviously doesn't work on iOS that is incompatible with anything prior to the iPhone 6 or before. So one of the first challenges that we had was that, you know, uh, about 11% of our company issued mobile phones were iPhone 6s or earlier, which the app couldn't work on. Um, So I, I don't think there's any particular barrier to people using apps because of their age. But I think we did find a barrier where the app doesn't work on phones that are still, you know, in circulation at the moment.
0: Now when, you, when you decided, kindly I should say, to, uh, to trial the app, and, and I should explain to our listeners that that was the result of a, an approach from uh, the Track and Trace team at NHS uh, facilitated by uh, DEFRA, and, and you were very, very kind to, uh, to pick up this project, which I know has involved quite a lot of work for you and your colleagues. What, what were you hoping for from the app and what did you, when you went into the project, see as the potential difficulties?
1: Well, I, I think, look, when we were asked to trial the app, I, I think we saw it as our duty really. You know, I mean, we, we are the only real food and drink manufacturer of scale in Newham and the government wanted to understand how it worked in a food and drink manufacturing environment and um, we wanted to help, you know, anything that we could do to, you know, try and Slow down this miserable virus. I think we want to do so. That that was the reason why. Um, what what did we discuss when we looked at it? I, I think, like most food and drink businesses, our, our first thought was, you know, what are the risks to our production of the app? You know, at the factory in East London, we produce something like you know fifty percent of the sugar on UK retailers' shelves. So it, it, the factory itself is a is a piece of the country's you know food. Uh, critical food infrastructure. So what we didn't want was for the app to somehow close our factory down by pinging everybody um, as, a, as a contact. But when we got thinking about it, it, it didn't take us long to realise that that was, was quite a, a sort of negative way to look at it. I think all the way through the virus, we've decided that if we make sure our workforce are safe, then everything else will be fine. So I think, um, you know, that became pretty clear quite quickly that we shouldn't think about it as a negative, we should think about it as a positive to help keep our workforce safe. I think we thought about it and decided that actually this could be a positive tool for helping us tracing colleagues in the event of a, of a positive test. We've only had two positive tests, thank goodness, in our workforce through all of this dreadful virus, but in both cases it's been a, it's been a bit of a dark art, a, a sort of unscientific process to try and ask people who they remember standing too close to for how long and anything that helps us speed that process up and be more accurate should actually be a a positive to us. And then finally, you know, the other thing we all have to remember is that it's not really our choice whether our workers uh, decide to use this app. You know, we can't compel them to remove the app from their phone when they work across across our factory's boundary. So, you know, if people are going to use it, we should get on board and make sure that it's used in a, a positive and safe way in the workplace rather than something that um, people see as a threat. So those, those were the sort of deliberations we went through. But I, I just one final thing, Ian, I would say that is probably the most important part of what I'm going to say today, that, that when you sit down and look at this as a food and drink manufacturer, it's a binary choice at the beginning. Either you support it or you um, rail against it. And I think um, railing against it when you think about it and the issues that I've just outlined is a pretty pointless exercise Yeah
0: yeah and and picking that up how did your people react when you said that you were going to be uh, trialing the app were they was it something that they looked at with uh, with interest or was it with apprehension and exactly along the lines that you were saying where they they were worried that they might be inadvertently pinged for being close to somebody was was there concern or was there um, a constructive spirit in engaging with
1: it? Uh, I'd I, I say that times have changed. I mean, this was in August, remember, when the virus rates were very low. People didn't feel threatened by it anymore. We were all busy going on holiday. Back in May, when the idea of the app first came about, when it was trialled on the Isle of Wight the first time, we had a lot of positive engagement for our colleagues, saying we want to use this when it comes out. How are we going to make this work in the environment of the factory, where in some places you know, colleagues can't have mobile phones with them? But this time around, I, I say, I'd say i say that people were a bit more ambivalent to it. You know, it was August, the virus was on the way out. You know, we were all going to be back in the workplace doing what we all did quite quickly. So that the first challenge we really had was trying to infuse our colleagues about it. We got the passcodes from the NHS, I think it was the 26th of August, and we uh, passed them through um, the management and supervisory team and asked them to encourage colleagues to download it. And we got about... 15 to 25 percent uptake amongst the workforce, which I, I thought was, you know, a little bit disappointing actually. But, you know, at the time, the, the reasons for people not wanting to engage in it were, were really, you know, they didn't perceive that there was much of a risk anymore. They worried about the, the battery on their telephone being used by it. Um, they worried about privacy. You know, even though it's really clear the app doesn't, doesn't t- send any information outside of the phone in your hand, they worry about privacy. And the other thing that was really interesting, they said, well, the company's done such a good job of keeping us safe. We know that if one of us is positive, that you'll be able to track and test who's involved. So why why do we need it? So it was, you know, I was disappointed by the uptake, but as as I had to keep reminding myself that there wasn't much of a perceived risk back then. Um, and as we keep being reminded by the NHS guys, every person that takes it is a person that can
0: make a contribution. What special measures, what special provision did you have to make for getting the app in place? You said about one in four people picked it up relatively speedily, but how much effort was there on your side to, to drive that amount of trial and how much time did it take you and your colleagues to... To put the arrangements in place? I, I'd say we, you know, it's a choice. People have a choice. So we
1: can't compel our employees to download it. That's the first point to make about the app. It is a choice for people to make themselves. But we did encourage them and tried to remind them that this was a, an important contribution they could personally make to keeping themselves safe and everybody else safe. And we did some communication in the first few days uh, around the plant with signs, with a letter um, to all the staff, through the the management team, actually, who were the most relevant bit. You know, I think personal support for the app is probably more important than anonymous signage. Um, But we didn't have to put too much effort in to get to that 15 to 25 percent and I I mean we haven't looked at how many people have it now but I'd be surprised if it's not getting on for sort of 30 to 40 percent now because people's perception of the risk year is changing really quickly now. Yeah, People can see that um, you know we're going into what could be quite a difficult winter and that the app is something that could really help with that.
0: Were there any particular special arrangements or anything that was difficult to overcome? I mean there's, there's the continuous story about the danger of people being inadvertently pinged because their phones are next to each other's in lockers and there's the whole issue of QR codes that have to be put up around the place. Was any of that particularly onerous for you in in putting in place? No, It was so simple. I mean, it's just a case of doing it quickly,
1: really. So with the QR codes, you log on, uh, and I think I did them myself, within a minute of Uh, clicking on the link. I had the QR codes generated in PDF and then it's just a case of printing them and putting them up. The the one thing we found with the QR codes is that to get them to work well, they really need to be on a flat surface and away from any light glare. Otherwise, you get into the situation where you're trying to register them two or three times and people get frustrated because they fail. And as for the lockers, I mean, I I know this is a real focus for people in our industry. Lots of, I mean, there's about 40% of our staff have to leave their phones in their lockers. There's, there's a real focus and fear about them being on, and because they're less than two meters uh, to each other for more than 15 minutes, that you inadvertently register a contact. I mean, I, I think the feedback we have from our workforce is most of them put the phone off when they put it in the locker anyway, you know. They, they're, not, they're not in the habit of coming into work and leaving their phone on for eight to ten hours um, in the locker. So most of them report that they turn it off anyway, but we did do some extra stuff in the locker room in terms of signage, reminding people. And I'm pleased to say, if you look on the NHS website, they actually produced some uh, posters, I think, for, for locker rooms on, on our suggestion. Um, you know, we made the point that anything that you know, is official you know, has the NHS logo on it and is clearly a message from the government. Is more powerful than homemade signs that we can make. So you know, you should be able to find those on the NHS track and trace website as well for you to put in the lockers. But we we, look, we'll never know because we never had a positive case whilst we were using the app to date. So we'll never know how many false positives we get. But I I I think that we got over quite quickly that being a reason not to encourage
0: use of the app. Did you feel that the support you got from NHS and DEFRA and others was sufficient. And and in that context, were you able to make recommendations to them about the way, given that you were trialling it, about the way in which they might slightly change what they were doing in order to make it more effective? Yeah, I I think, you know, we were really proud to be able to help the NHS guys working on the
1: app. I mean, irrespective of all this stuff you read in the media, uh, there's a lot of hardworking people in that track and trace team, more generally at the moment, trying to overcome a lot of hurdles. So we're really proud to help them. They were really helpful to us when we were looking for QR codes for our workforce. I think in terms of what we were able to contribute, I think we were able to contribute a real clear view that actually the app does work. People can download it, it does work in the workplace. Um, There's nothing to be scared of. Uh, There were a few tweaks around the QR codes and the signage that they took on board from us. But I think the main message we were able to give back to both the NHS and DEFRA is that it works. You know, there's nothing to be afraid of. Um, you know, I, I know there's a, a sort of healthy paranoia about it in a factory environment, but I think you know the flip side of it is that in our factory environment, it's worked really well. And actually, you know, if if it is pinging people, you want to know about it. You want to know if somebody has been too close to somebody that's tested positive. So it's a it's a positive, yeah.
0: Yeah, and of course, it, although it might be unwelcome news, it's important news. Um, I guess the the kind of key question with which to end is if you knew then what you know now would you do it again and secondly would you recommend our listeners who might be thinking about engaging with staff to actually give the app a push would you would you recommend them to do so? Yeah I think we'd do it in a heartbeat if we were asked to try
1: it again Um, and I think i definitely recommend to listeners to you know, consider uh, recommending it to their workforce. I mean, at the, the end of the day, there's nothing more important to any of us in our industry than making sure our workforce are safe. If they're not safe, that's when we fall into the trap of you know, not being able to keep the nation fed. So I think anything that, that helps people feel safe, makes them stay safe, and helps us respond quickly, uh, to, uh, positive cases in the workplace is a really good thing. And, um, it's, it's an individual's choice, but I can't see why anybody wouldn't want to support its sort uptake of in the workplace.
0: Gerald, thank you very much for, for giving us your time and for explaining how you made the app work in Newham. I know that the people from NHS test and trace and particularly those from DEFRA were really extremely grateful and, and also learned a lot from the lessons that that were learned in Newham. Uh, So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this FDF podcast. FDF is the voice of
1: the food and drink industry, supporting our members with the expertise to develop, grow and strengthen their business. To learn more about how we can help your business, contact us at members.inquiries at fdf.org.uk. There's no better time to become an FDF member